With that said, we are in 2 Kings tonight. Chapters, we're, gonna, we pick, we're picking back up in chapter 18 where we left off a week ago. Uh, actually, uh, the week before Easter we left off. And we, we actually left off with this incredible king coming into authority in Judah. His name is Hezekiah. And he's a great king. And, and uh, we also said goodbye to the northern kingdom. So we're no longer going back and forth between the two kingdoms. Uh, during the divided kingdom age, the northern kingdom was taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. And now we're just dealing with the kingdom of Judah. Now we're going to see, uh, we have reform, and that's Hezekiah. Then we're going to go back to an evil king, Manasseh. Then we're going to go back to a reform, and then an evil king. And so, and then eventually the fall to Babylon. But uh, tonight's study, as we go through this, there's going to be some really good spiritual lessons for us, uh, especially about spiritual warfare, uh, some application we can take from tonight. But also there's some really wonderful application as far as leadership goes tonight. Uh, and I, I know some of you may say, well, I'm not a leader. Well, yes, you are. You're a Christian. I tell my kids every day, don't forget, Christians are leaders. And uh, just that idea that when, when they're in the presence of friends, when they're out and about, uh, they're going to have opportunities to lead. And so will you, even around your neighbors. Uh, and so you might as well just practicing, be, practice being a good leader. So we're going to pick up at verse 17. And Assyria has been laying uh, attack to Lachish in the, north, in the southern kingdom of Judah. And now they're about to send uh, a warning to J- Jerusalem to Hezekiah. So that's where we're picking up in this evening's text. So chapter 18, verse 17, it says, Then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh, from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. Now, I'm just going to say who those people are. Uh, Rabshakeh is uh, like the, the general of the army along with some of these other. We're not really sure who Tartan or Rabsaris are, but these are officials to go with uh, and speak to Jerusalem. So he sent them up to Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct for, 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 from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. Then Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words, and in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? I'm going to pause there for a moment, and just, we're going to look at a couple other verses that help set up this scene a little bit better, but first, understand what's happening here. The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, is sending his army ahead to Jerusalem, basically to threaten them into a surrender. That's the whole goal here. Now, Assyria was a formidable army, and we shared last week about some of the things that they did to intimidate all those who would stand up against them. And of course, they've already taken out the northern kingdom of Israel, and now they're coming for the southern kingdom. And And Hezekiah is... is um, yeah, there, there's no way Judah at this point in time could stand against the northern kingdom of Assyria. 
but he does take a couple things to prepare for this, this war. Turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 32, or, or I can put it up here on the screen. Second Chronicles 32 verses 6 through 8, we see that in preparation, actually right before this verse, Hezekiah builds up walls, he repairs walls, he's getting ready for them to siege Jerusalem. And then it says this, then he set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate, and he gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. Now I'm going to pause there for a moment. There are more with us than with him. Now if you were in Judah and you started counting the number of soldiers, you would go, I, I, Hezekiah, I, I think we've got to go back to pri- uh, primary school. We've got to get back to our math lessons because there's no way this number adds up to that number. But understand where Hezekiah is going with this. Verse 8 says, for uh, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So Hezekiah, prior to these emissaries from the Assyrian army showing up at the wall uh, to, to make their demands, Hezekiah has this time with his leaders of his military, and he, and he reminds them to be strong and courageous. Now, I think we've heard this before in the scriptures. In fact, we, we know that Joshua was told that, be strong and courageous. All throughout the scriptures, God uh, either says it in his word to us or will reaffirm it through his godly leaders. And Hezekiah knows this, and he says, look, there's more with us than with them. They're an arm of flesh. Well, that's pretty intimidating still, an army of the flesh at least. Uh, I mean, it's a massive military unit. They're powerful. They're battle-hardened. They know what they're doing. But with us is the Lord God. And so Hezekiah puts his trust in the Lord God. Now we go back over to Kings, Second Kings. So, so that, that kind of sets the stage for what's going to happen. Now, now we're going to see that, that there are three things that this emissary, this uh, leader of the Assyrian army is going to say that are no good and won't work for, for Israel. The first is here in verse 21. Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. Now, What's happening here is Rabshak is basically just trying to head off any type of uh, assurance that Jerusalem might have to stand up against the Syrian army. And the first thing is, he says, you're trusting in Egypt, but Egypt is weak. And in fact, Egypt is so weak, if you try to lean on them, it's going to bow and it's going to end up hurting you. It's going to pierce right through you. Now, Egypt in the Old Testament is always a symbol of the world. Of, of the flesh, of, of the place where Israel is never to go to. In fact, in the scriptures, in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah goes through great lengths on behalf of the Lord to warn Israel not to go to Egypt for their strength, not to go back to Egypt. Remember, God delivered Israel out of the clutches of Egypt. He set the slaves free from the bondage of Egypt, and he told them, don't ever go back that way again. 
In fact, God gave very clear instructions to Israel that they weren't to count their chariots or their horses. They weren't to trust in those things, those things of warfare, but they were to trust in the Lord God. And so Rabshak just is at least making an assumption. He could possibly have some intel from somewhere that, that they're going to try to go to Egypt. And certainly there were those in Israel that wanted to go to Egypt because there's always that, that, that what we see versus what is true. Oftentimes we're intimidated by the task ahead or the insurmountable odds in front of us. And God is saying, no, I don't want you to look and see with your eyes what to do. I want you to do what I say for you to do. So in Isaiah 20, verses 3 through 6, the Lord says this to, to Israel. Isaiah 20, 3 through 6, says, Then the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign of wonder... Now, let me just explain what's happening here. God has called Isaiah so that Israel gets, or sorry, Judah gets this message. Isaiah, you're going to walk around naked and barefoot. Who wants to be called to be a prophet? You know, <laughs> okay, Levi's ready. But, but the prophets often lived out their messages before the people. And so here Isaiah is going around naked and barefoot. For three years for a sign and a wonder against Egypt and Ethiopia. Verse 4. So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians as prisoners and Ethiopians as captives. So basically, if you try to trust in them, here's the, the object lesson. Isaiah is walking around saying, don't trust in them. Don't trust in them. They're going to be led away like this. That's what Isaiah is telling the people. And, and if you trust in them, it's going to happen to you too. So young and old, naked and barefoot, with their buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt. Then they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation in Egypt, their glory. And the inhabitant of this territory will say in that day, surely such is our expectation. Wherever we flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and how shall we escape? And so God gives this message to Isaiah to share with Israel to warn them, don't go to Egypt. And listen, I'll tell you right now, God's going to say the same thing to you. Don't look to the world. If you're a child of God, you're not to look to the world for solutions. You're to look to the Lord God. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But let's go to Isaiah chapter 30. Verses 1 through 3, because we see a woe here. Now, anytime in Scripture there's a woe, that's not a good thing. Woes are not things you want uh, because we know that those are things that bring about judgment. So God says to Israel or to Judah, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, and who devise plans but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Stay there on verse 1 for a moment. So, so here he's saying the woe is because of the fact that they're taking counsel from those of the flesh, from the world. They're, they're listening to the people around them, the crowd or whoever's pressuring them to, to not listen to the Lord, but to, to listen to what they see or what they think to be reasonable. And, and they devise plans, but their plans are not devised by the Spirit of God. Now, it's interesting that people would even do this. 
since they have the prophet of God, that they can consult at any time. They can go to Isaiah. That's one of the amazing uh, things about this time and uh, period in Judah's history is everybody knew where Isaiah was. And, and of course, uh, the other prophets that, that were contemporaries with Isaiah, they could actually go to Isaiah, which we'll see Hezekiah do in a moment uh, in, tonight's tra- in tonight's study. But they could go to Isaiah. And so rather than consulting Isaiah to consult God, they're not looking to God's spirit at all. They're looking to what they see. So woe to the rebellious children. Okay, verse 2. Then who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Verse 3. Therefore the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame. And trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. And uh, are we just doing, yeah, we're just doing through verse 3. So God is through Isaiah the prophet saying, do not go to Egypt. Do not trust in Egypt. And Rabshak here is saying, you can't trust in Egypt. They can't stand for you. And there are some in Judah who are saying, let's go to Egypt. And God say, don't go to Egypt. And I would say that the same for you and I as well. When we're confronted with uh, trials, and sometimes these trials are trials that we bring upon ourselves. We've got ourselves into trouble in some way. Sometimes they're the result of sin in our lives. Sometimes they're just trials. They just happen. There's man's way and there's God's way. God's way consults the Spirit of God, looks to the Word of God. Man's way looks to other men for solutions. And this is a real challenge as we see. And this is going to be, this is a challenge for Hezekiah as well. Will Hezekiah fold to those, his advisors that are saying, let's go to Egypt? Or will Hezekiah say, no, we're going to consult the Lord God? We'll see he'll do the latter in just a moment. Well, the second thing is that Rabshak tries to uh, yell at Israel as they're on their wall is that the Lord is actually displeased with Hezekiah. Let's look at verse 22 in 2 Kings. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now therefore I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? So now Rabshak is saying, look, you say you trust in the Lord God. Your, your king Hezekiah says that, but he removed all the high places. Now, if you remember, that was one of the reforms Hezekiah did at the very beginning was he recognized that it was the false, uh, the, a false worship of the living God is just as much a sin as worshiping false gods. And the high places were centers of false worship of the living God. Remember, worship was to happen in the temple. That was the center for worship for the Jews. And when they started establishing these high places, these altars in high places, even if they were worshiping the living God, they were still sinning against God because it wasn't his prescribed way of worship. And Hezekiah removed all those things. So Rabshak is actually trying to convince everybody that God is actually displeased with Judah because of Hezekiah removing these altars. 
Now, uh, now we go to the third thing that he says after offering them chariots, but saying, look, even if I give you all these horses, you, you're, you don't even have the riders to put on them. Your army is too small. Now, the third thing is that he's going to say, God told me to come and destroy you guys. Uh, that's verse 25. Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Wow. This is psychological warfare really, truly at its best. Um, it's telling you that, one, even where you go for help, you're not going to get any. Two, if you, if you go for physical help, you're not going to get it. Two, if you go for spiritual help, God's displeased with you. Three, God's told me that I'm your judgment. Wow. Can you imagine the people of Israel? But, but thank goodness that Hezekiah had the wherewithal to, to meet with the people beforehand and say, trust in the Lord God. Don't believe these people. So verse 26, we get into this, the next appeal. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and jo- Joah said to Rabshak, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. Now, this is saying, like, listen, you're discouraging our people, so can you speak in the language they don't understand? Well, guess what he's going to do? <laughs> he's going to speak in the language they understand. So verse 28, then Rabshak stood. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 27. But the Rabshak said to, to, to them, has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak the, these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat, drink their own waste with you? Then the, Rab, then the Rabshak stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and spoke saying, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you for he shall not be able to, to deliver you from his hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me, buy a present, and really it's make peace and surrender today, that's, that's what, uh, buy a present, and, and come out to me, and every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink of the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to the land like your, your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arapad? Where are the gods of Seraphim and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. So now Rabshak, as he's speaking, he starts speaking in Hebrew to all the people on the wall saying, listen, this is your chance. You're going to die, and you're going to die by eating your own waste on this wall because our army is so great. 
and you're going to try to trust in Hezekiah. You're going to try to trust in your Lord. But this is your opportunity to come out and enjoy the fruit of your vine and enjoy your honey and all these sorts of things until we come and take you to another land, but it'll be just like your land. Uh, and, and you can imagine being on the wall. People are saying, okay, we have a choice. Stand here and... Do we, do we believe this? Do we not believe it? Do we surrender and have a chance at living with our families? It's a tough choice. It's a, it's a terrible choice. But I do want to draw a little bit of, of a, uh, the, some, some similarities. I want to draw your attention to some similarities here. Because Rabshakeh is a lot like Satan. There's no question about this. Uh, I mean, first of all, Satan loves to accuse uh, Christians. He loves to get you thinking that you are the worst of sinners and there's no hope for you, that God is angry with you. In fact, Zechariah 3.1, Zechariah has this vision of Joshua the high priest and it says, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Who was he opposing? He was opposing Joshua the high priest, the one who represented Israel. Uh, that's who Satan was opposing. And, and that is what Satan does. He loves to accuse. He loves to say that you can't do this. You are guilty that God doesn't love you. Even though God did die for you, you are too far gone. You're too far out of it. More than that, now you find Satan who's who's in this vision, is up in heaven accusing Joshua the high priest. And in fact, we know that that's Satan's role up until Revelation 12.10 when God finally kicks him completely out of heaven. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 10 says, Then I heard a voice, a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. That is, uh, that, that's what we see Satan finally in Revelation and we'll, this time will come. But up until that point, Satan's, one of his roles is just accusing. That's what he loves to do. He loves to get you accusing yourself. He loves to accuse you before God. And, and, just, and we saw that in Job too in the very first chapter of Job. That's what Satan's coming to present himself before the Lord God. And he says, oh, this guy Job, if you let me have Adam, he won't be so faithful to you. Satan is the accuser. He's also, he's also a liar, and he loves to destroy the work of God. John eight forty four, Jesus says, you are, and he's speaking actually to the, the scribes and the, and the uh, priests, you are of the, your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is actually the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning, the Bible tells us. In fact, he is the first sinner that we know of in Scripture. Of course, obviously, man sinned. But, but Satan just lies and he tries to destroy the work of God. And, and of course, Jesus, as he confronts the, these uh, religious leaders, 
for being liars as well and standing against the truth. That's what Satan does. And, and this, is a, this is just like Rabshak. Here he is lying to the people. He's telling people, listen, your best opportunity is to surrender now and I'll take you off eventually to a land just like your land. You think it'll really be that way as they put fish hooks in the people's mouths and they draw them away naked and barefoot as Assyria did? 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says, in their case, the God of, the, uh, sorry, uh, 2 Corinthians, is that right? Yeah, 4-4, four, four. whose mind's the God, oh, whose mind's, sorry, I have the ESV here. Uh, whose mind's the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them. And this is basically saying that that's one of the things Satan does too is he holds people captive. He, he blinds people to the truth. So when we're asking ourselves, well, can't, why can't the rest of the world see that this is evil or this is wrong? Why can't people see that AB 2223, which allows uh, abortion up to 28 days old for an infant, which I, I can't even understand that, why can't our lawmakers see that it's so evil? Well, this is why. Their minds. The God of the sage is blinded. And, and the light of the... Uh, the, the Lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They're they're in darkness. Satan loves to deceive. And there's a good way to combat Satan and his lies. And that's to know the truth. That's the easiest way to combat Satan. Is to actually know the truth. Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. Jesus is led out into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And we have a wonderful example of how he responds. Verse 2, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now when it says Jesus was hungry, uh, after fasting that long, I don't think hungry, the word hungry, the way you and I use hungry, really uh, gets us to understand how hungry Jesus must have been. He he must have absolutely needed some nourishment. And the tempter comes up and says, turn the stones to bread. But he answers that it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the first thing, truth that Jesus combats Satan with is, here's the truth. I'm not dependent upon bread. I'm not listening to you, Satan, uh, because I live based on the word of God. Verse 5 says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up. Verse 7, Lest you dash your foot against a stone. So Satan here is saying that, listen, here's what the word says. God's not going to let you fall into destruction, so therefore do this. But Jesus said it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Here's the truth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only you shall serve. 
And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. That's how Jesus dealt with the lies of the devil. He dealt with them with the truth of God's word. Now, going back over to 2 Kings, as we, as we uh, see what the people did, verse 36 of 2 Kings, chapter 18, it says, But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, was over the household. Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshak. So the people exercised some wisdom. We're not listening to you, Rabshak. We're listening to our king. We're, we're not going to listen to you at all. We're gonna, our king told us not to speak. We're not going to speak. Now, when our king speaks to us, are we ready to listen? When God speaks from his word what is truth, are we ready to, to receive that truth and embrace it? Or are we still kind of listening to the world? Or, well, what does that person say? Or what, what, what truth do they have? Maybe, maybe God's word isn't actually accurate. No, we need to let God be true and every man a liar. And so these, these uh, Israelites here on the wall... The, the people of Judah don't speak a word. They keep their peace. So, going on to chapter 19, and so it was, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this Day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of, of the Rabshak, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. And so, so Hezekiah makes a decision. We're not going to go down to Egypt. We're not going to do what the world would do. We're going to go consult the Spirit of the Lord. And that's in Isaiah. So they send these messengers to Isaiah. They tell him what's going on. Verse 5 says, So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord. This is the message you're going to bring back to Hezekiah. Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Now, I love that. Right there, he's uh, kind of being a little bit pejorative to the Rabshak because he just refers to him as the servants of the king of Assyria. You're nothing more than a servant. And uh, so he says, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So you want to remember that, that, that what God is saying here is, I'm going to spread a rumor, <laughs> and, and it's going to cause him to leave the land, the king of Assyria, and he's actually going to die in his own land. Now, he's going to do that. God, remember, God's true in all that he says. Now, of course, Judah can't see this happening. They don't, they don't 
see it happening. Oftentimes when we're up against trials or tribulations or we're dealing with with evil in some way, we just can't see how God's going to bring this about, how he's going to give victory. So we get into verse 8. Then the Rabshak, then the Rabshak returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna. Uh, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. So w- what's happening here is the king of Assyria, second, sec, um, second, wow. Hold on. I have to read it again because like, I'm having trouble with this. Sekareb. Sec, uh, well, you guys got it. All of a sudden, my, my tongue's getting tied on, on his name. Uh, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Sennacherib. Uh, the, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, is left Lachish. He's no longer at Lachish as the Rabshak comes back, uh, and he's actually starting a war and, uh, w- with the king concerning um, uh, uh, the king of, against Libna. So, verse 9. And the king heard concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, Look, he has come out to make war with you. There's the rumor. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the king of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozin and Haran and Rezpah, and the people of Eden who were in Telusir? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Seraphim, Hina, and Iva? So, so now the king of Assyria has actually returned back to, uh, uh, he, he started heading back away from Lachish, and uh, uh, Rabshak, the Rabshak, is, is saying, okay, well, I'm going to continue this pressure on Jerusalem. So he sends another letter. Verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Now, this is really important. I, I, this is a, a part of scripture that you can underline. Because remember I said there's some really great principles of leadership. First, the first principle we saw was that Hezekiah encourages his people with the word of God and to trust in God. Second, the second thing that he'd done was he told the people to be silent. Don't, don't believe Rabshak. Now we see that Hezekiah actually does this incredible act of leadership. When he receives this letter and reads it, look at what he does. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. That's where, that's where you're going to find Hezekiah. He's a godly king. He's a godly leader. And he takes this trial and brings it back before the Lord. He brings this letter before the Lord, spreads it before the Lord, and he starts seeking the Lord. Look what he says. O Lord, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent me to reproach, the living God. Now, remember, uh, this, this letter that he has sent says that God can't save you. <laughs> and so, yeah, so Hezekiah is saying, hey, he's reproaching you, God. 
So incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, verse 17, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. It's a beautiful prayer because Hezekiah recognizes his God is a jealous God. And, and, and jealous in a good way, not jealous in a sinful way, the way we deal with jealousy, but jealous for us, jealous for our protection, jealous for to be the only one God worshiped. And so as Hezekiah gives this prayer, about the king of Assyria actually trying to reproach the Lord God. He says that, you know, there's, they, they've taken all these other civilizations and, they've, and these cities and cast their gods into the fire, and now they want to try to do that here. But, but those gods weren't even real gods. You're the real God. You're the living God, the one who dwells between the cherubim. So, Lord, because you're God alone, save us. Well, Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah. So, remember, Hezekiah is praying in the temple. Now, God is hearing Hezekiah pray with this letter laid out from, from the king of Assyria. And as, as Hezekiah is praying, God sends word to Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Israel, Assyria, I have heard. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? My sweet little girl, my virgin, she's laughing at you. She's laughing at you and your whole army. She's scorning you behind your back, Mr. King of Assyria. Verse 22 whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of the chariots I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Verse 25. Did you not hear long ago how I made it? From ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded they were as the grass of the field and the green herb and as the grass on the housetops and grain blighted before it's, it is grown. So basically God's saying, didn't, didn't you hear that, that I'm the Lord God? I'm the creator of all things. I, I'm the one who made these things. I'm the one who formed everything. And I'm the one who actually gave you power to conquer. But see, you, you've taken it too far here, king of Assyria. And so verse 27, but I know your dwelling place. I love that. I know where you live. 
That's, that's basically what, G, what God's saying. I know where you live. It's <laughs> such a great line. Uh, I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in. I know when you wake up, <laughs> when you go to bed, when you go out. I know all about you as king of Assyria. And your rage against me. Because of your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. This shall be a sign to you. Now, this is a sign to Israel, to Judah. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and the second year what springs from the same. So what, what God is saying here is here's, here's a sign ahead of time to you, Judah, that you haven't had time to plant because you're under siege. So you're just going to eat of whatever seed has already fallen and grows by itself. And the second year, it'll be the same way. But don't worry, you're going to have enough, okay? And in the third year, you're going to sow and reap. So you're going to be able to plant vineyards and eat of the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So there's a, a message there for Judah that you're going to be okay and I'm going to rescue. Verse 32, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city nor shoot an arrow there nor come before it, before it was shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Moy, Hezekiah's got to be so happy right now. He just got a word from the Lord that you don't got to worry about anything. In fact, you're not even going to fight here, Hezekiah. They're not even going to throw an arrow your way. Wow. Well, here we go. Verse 35. By the way, 681 B.C., this is all happening around 702 B.C., the siege. And by 681 B.C., Sennacherib is dead. So just to give you that, that, um, that background. Verse 35, and it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people rose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. One angel of the Lord, 185,000 corpses. One angel of the Lord. (laughs) Not the armies of heaven. One angel of the Lord went out and wiped them all out. 185,000. So when people woke up, there were just corpses. In fact, in Chronicles, we read that the angel of the Lord went and killed all of their mighty men, their heroes, their fighters, everybody. Boom, gone. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and went away. He left, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Now, remember, what, what did God say would happen to the king of Assyria? Anybody remember? He, he's going to go back and... he. He's going to die, right? Okay, verse 2037. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his God, that his sons Adramelech and Sherezer struck him down with the sword, and they escaped in the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. There's some irony here, isn't there? 
because the king of Assyria was telling Hezekiah that your God can't save you. I'm the king of Assyria. I have the most powerful army in the world right now. You're, you're not safe at all from me. And now we find the king of Assyria, after an angel wipes out 185,000 men of his army back in the temple of his God in Nineveh, worshiping, and did his God protect him from his sons murdering him? No way. Because he trusted in false gods. There's always a temptation to trust in what we see, in, in the group think, in the the world around us, there's always temptation to look for help from the world. But Hezekiah shows, is a great example to us this evening, not to look to the world for help, but to look to the Lord God, to wait on him and to trust in his word. And he will never let you down. I'll tell you, I love this chapter. We're going to see a little more of Hezekiah next week, and we'll, we'll finish up the reign of Hezekiah, and we'll get into a wicked king, Manasseh, but we'll get through him quick enough and get back to a good king, and, and then we'll go to a wicked king, and then Israel will no longer be a kingdom. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for your word, and uh, we thank you for this wonderful godly example of Hezekiah. Lord, who, who did away with the false worship of you, who made all these wonderful reforms, who led your people in a way that was godly. Lord, give us leaders like Hezekiah, representatives who would be godly and bold and stand for you, not those driven by the world. We just cry out to you, Lord, that you might have mercy on us and give us those kinds of leaders. Lord, we also want to pray that, that we would trust in you, Lord. We commit right here, right now, we will trust in you, the Lord our God, and not follow man. We will be strong and courageous, and Lord, we thank you for your goodness toward us. We pray you accept this last worship song. May you be glorified in all that we do this week, and we pray this in your name. Amen. (laughs) So, we got to fix these cue cards. So, so glad you joined us for worship tonight, and, uh, Uh, I hope you'll take these lessons on Christian leadership and uh, the lessons we can learn from Hezekiah with you this week. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May you walk in his peace and grow in the grace and knowledge of him. Amen. Thank you for playing.